Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Spirituality Out Loud podcast. Of course, I am Leslie Seidel, and today we have Mark Silver. And Mark is, I'm so excited to hear his story. I don't know much about it, just know where he is today. And he is a recognized master teacher in the Sufi lineage. And I know very little about that lineage, so I'm very excited to hear about that. He's also the founder and leads the team at Heart of Business. And for me, I love the combination of a spiritual path being held in a business setting because I do think that's really important. And so I love the fact that that's that's the foundation of your business. I don't know if that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, Mark, (laughs) welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we uh, hear the goal is to hear about your process. The process is how were you raised? Let's start at the beginning. What was your opinion of how you were raised and what was your experience of it? So were you raised raised in a religion or? Yeah, I was raised Jewish and um, I really enjoyed a lot of it. I felt that it didn't like it. There was a disconnect. I didn't feel a sense of spiritual nourishment as I continued, you know, into Judaism. And I, after my bar mitzvah, um, I didn't, I didn't stay connected with Jewish practice. Although I still celebrated the holidays and fasted on Yom Kippur, and you know, but there wasn't a daily practice for me. So Judaism is something that has remained deep in my heart, and I still consider myself Jewish. Uh, not just culturally, but spiritually. And it's something that I've really appreciated about the path that I'm on now with Sufism, because Sufism is a part of Islam, uh, which is part of the Abrahamic traditions. So I really feel like I'm on the same path in many ways. It's just expanded or deepened in certain ways. I've talked to a lot of people about who are raised Jewish, and there's, there's a lot of people who are raised just the culturally Jewish. But it sounds like your family did hold the spiritual aspect of that as well. Oh, well, I think they held the religious aspect. I okay. I wouldn't say they held a spiritual aspect of it in such a... I just don't think people knew how, you know. My parents, you know, have a belief in God, um, but they don't have a daily practice or a regular practice. My, um, my mom's parents were immigrants from Eastern Europe. Uh, in the early part of uh, the 20th century, before the Shoah, before um, the uh, Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad's side of the family had been in this country since the late 1800s in, in the U.S. And my mom's, and it's funny, my mom's side of the family was Orthodox Jewish. But, so my mom was raised Orthodox, but she didn't practice Orthodox. And it was, yeah, there was just a... Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of spiritual nourishment or experience in Jewish access to spiritual nourishment for me growing up. 
even though the Judaism was very present for me. So that's, I'm curious. So how do you see the difference between the religion and the spiritual? Well, so I, you know, and it's a, it's a good question. It's a fair question. You know, there are, the, the way I've come to understand this through my practice in Sufism is that there is the outer and there's the inner and they are deeply related to one another. And if they're separated from one another, then you start to have problems. Like if you start to just access spiritual work without practice, it can become um, caught up in illusion very quickly. You know, people think they're enlightened or they think they've had some deep experience and they're just kind of like, you know, off in left field and they're not really grounded in an embodied way of carrying forward. On the other hand, you can have religious practice that is divorced from spiritual experience and nourishment, and it becomes kind of empty ritual, just like rules following without uh, a deeper understanding of what's wanting to be evoked, elicited, you know, reached for, developed within the human being. Uh, my understanding, my experience is that we really need both. You know, the bark, you know, a tree needs the sap and the bark. You don't want just a pile of sap on the ground. That's not nourishing anything, but if you just have the bark, then you have a dead tree. So for me, Judaism suffered so much trauma uh, over the last century, but you know, for centuries that um, there are a lot of branches of Judaism that are just in a lot of pain and a lot of trauma and there's not, um, and we lost so many of the Jewish teachers in the Holocaust and in the earlier pogroms that there's, um, there's just, it's just kind of broken in that way. Um, and there are intact lineages and there's beautiful, beautiful, deep spiritual nourishment in Judaism. I just didn't stumble upon the teacher in my path. And so I was led for whatever reason into Sufism, which as I said, feels to me like there's the, it's the very same. It, a lot of the teachings are identical. They're identical. Yeah. I thank you so much. You, you, you taught, I mean, the thing I love is that you're talking about something that I hold deeply just in different ways. And I I'm so aware of all of our rituals that have no meaning. Right. And one of the ones I bring a lot of the people that are, uh, around me in is this marriage ritual. Right. And so people get married and there's all of these things that they do around a wedding with no holding as to why. And I came at it, and my husband came at it, of this, we're in an initiation. And we are being deeply initiated. We have a hard task in an initiation, right? And so it made these things. And I remember talking to a good, good friend of mine saying, you know, I was complaining about some aspect of this intense wedding thing. And, and oh, and the, the makeup artist and the makeup artist. And she said, yeah, it's deeply terrifying to commit your life to another human being, right? And, and it just like sunk back into, there's this physical realm of the task you need to do in my spiritual work. And there's the work that's happening underneath that, that if we don't acknowledge and talk about and hold, there's a disconnect and a dissonance that happens that's really painful. Mm -hmm. And so how do we do both? How do we live in these, both these realms? And, and um, it's really hard and really worth it and so beautiful. And I loved your description of it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's a beautiful description as well. 
Um, I'm glad that you all brought so much consciousness to your commitment. And in my experience is that the outer and the inner support one another, right? It's like, it's not just like to create a hierarchy of the inner over the outer doesn't really serve anyone. And in, in Sufism, there's a quote that's attributed to God that says, if you do not love all of my creation, you do not truly love me. And mm. this is, um, you know, the signs of divine caring are in everything. And so, you know, the, the, it's not just the inner, it's the inner and the outer in becoming one. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Okay, so you were raised Jewish. We're moving along. Kind of, you got bat mitzvahed. Bar mitzvahed, so, yes. Bar mitzvah, sorry. And so it's I It's just love, gender. The, the Hebrew yeah, yeah. is bat is for the bat. feminine and bar is for the masculine. And I don't think Judaism has the awareness of transgender, <laughs> you know, or, gen, you know, multiple gender options. So, but anyway. Not yet, hopefully. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, and I do love that initiation, which I think is missing in a lot of other cultures, right? The, the initiation to becoming an adult. Um, and then what happened? So how did, I mean, it's, you know, so did you just, yeah, tell me what happens next. Okay, so... Um, I spent time uh, with uh, my wife, Holly, who, when I met her before we were married, she was involved with uh, Starhawks Reclaiming Collective in San Francisco, which is where we were living. She was on the teacher track, and I spent some time with that community as well. And we were also part of a, um, a Jewish, couple of Jewish communities there um, that were based in uh, kind of earth-based Judaism, you know, and... Um, Jewish Renewal, and we were part of a, a queer minion, which was for um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender Jews. It was a minion, Havara. Havara is a term for kind of like a, a informal circle. It wasn't a synagogue. It was a group of people. We got together for Shabbat and for Sabbath and to sing and do ritual together. And so we had those two things come along. And I was at a point where I really was feeling the need for a daily practice. I needed to go deeper, just a deeper holding. And I started taking on more daily Jewish ritual. And I was like, Orthodox Judaism, like what's needed here? And, and Holly had been on a healing path because um, she'd had chronic Lyme's disease. And it's been a long journey for her with her health over the decades. But um, she, a good friend of hers, knew someone who was studying with this Sufi teacher and learning healing, Sufi healing. And um, that was my contact with Sufism. And there was a, a sheikh, um, uh, Sidi al-Jamal from uh, Jerusalem. He lived on the Mount of Olives. He passed a couple years ago, but he was um, the, the lineage holder for Shadaliya Sufism, which is one of the tariqat, the, one of the lineages. He was leading a, a community, helping uh, teachers in this country to um, take on through transmission and teaching some of the lineage of that. And it was through our experience with this student healer and with that path that uh, I kind of got caught in that net so to speak, it was um, there was a there was a period of time where we were studying both with the Sufis and with our Jewish community, and there was um, 
parallel teachings. It was the same teaching week to week on the same topics, but uh, the Sufi teachings, I just felt it go much more deeply into my heart. It, the transmission really struck me. It was really a big deal. And they had a residential, have a residential community in Lake County, California, um, north of Napa. And I would go there and I would take my Jewish, my Siddur, my Jewish prayer book into the mosque there because Sufism is based in Islam and do my Jewish prayers in the mosque. And it was just, it was an amazing kind of journey with all of that. And eventually we decided to do a three-year training, initial healership training with them. And I did the teacher internship training and I ended up being faculty in the internship, teacher internship program. And I ended up getting my master's of divinity uh, because the my teacher started up a theologically based school, you know, a school that could deliver theologically based uh, uh, masters of divinities uh, degrees, and so um, yeah, just became deeply immersed in that. So that's kind of the short story, so to speak, of the of the winding path to to that lineage. For those of you who don't know, or for me also, um, tell me a little bit about becoming a master. So I, you know, because of the Buddhism, I do understand this idea of lineage, right? What does that look like? I mean, so there's like a college degree that you have, right? But then there's also this religious, I don't know, title, right? Master. And so how does that look? Like, what does it mean to study? Um, What does it mean to become a master? Master teacher, yeah. Master um, teacher, and okay. let's make a really clear distinction between because so the term Sufi master gets thrown around a lot. That's not me. I'm okay. not a Sufi master. My sheikh was a Sufi master. <laughs> you know, he's so, he's the lineage holder. I'm not a lineage holder. So what he is was, that? What is the definite? Like, can you describe those two things? Not easily. Okay, um, that's, fine. <laughs> that's fine too. So, so the Sufi master is someone who's a direct. He is. He was the lineage holder of an unbroken 1,600-year-old lineage Mm. passed down from master to master to master um, in a direct transmission. And he was considered to carry a very, just, you know, considered to carry a, um, uh, I don't know if you want to use the term enlightened or realized or just, you know, carried a, a certain spiritual station of awareness of the presence of the divine and everything and transmitted that very strongly you know he was one of those people who um you know and i've experienced this with other teachers from other traditions as well you know you walk into the room and like they light up the room you know it's like you know i open up his books and it's like turning on a flashlight for me there's like this light pouring off the page so and i don't know how generalized that is or if it's because i'm in the lineage that i experienced that but he is um he carries that. So those of us that um, uh, have walked through the teacher, you know, teachership, um, were at various points granted, um, you know, were given a transmission. We were brought up, we made a commitment beyond the, you know, the initial in this initiation into the lineage, it's called taking hand. And so that's when I first became a student. And then steps after that are just different ranks of teacher, which is not, there's not a, you know, it's like the ranks of teacher are used in a variety of ways. Some, in some ways they say that this person has received a certain transmission and a certain permission to be able to teach from the lineage and to be able to share from the lineage. 
as I've been given, but it also is a testing of the ego because uh, people would get certain transmissions and there's all these different titles and it became apparent after a while that they were a lot to just kind of like catch the ego in wanting something. <laughs> it's like, ooh, what rank do you have? It's like, well, whatever. It's like, you know, all I know at this point is that I've been given permission to teach. I've been given training to teach. I've been given a transmission in the lineage to teach. I have demonstrated an understanding of the teachings enough to be able to share them. And there are various ranks in the teacherships, but I don't know, you know, like there's a little bit of a mystery about what the heck those actually mean. And I think those were more about kind of cleaning our desire for power advancement than actually any particular meaning. And, you know, I, I use the term master teacher in my bio because I feel like it in English can allow people to feel comfortable that I've been given some training and some permission and I'm not just freelancing, you know, and making it up. But uh, if anybody ever asks about it, um, I'm pretty free in explaining it in this way that it's like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, I mean, so what I hear you saying, and, and, and so correct me if I'm wrong. So I have some holding of this from the Buddhist, right? And I've had empowerments and I've met with different people. And so, but it's, here's the teaching by a master. And there are pieces of the teachings which you have proven and studied so deeply that they agree that you can then transmit that to another and teach another. Yes. Um, but possibly not all of it. Oh, certainly not all of it. Yeah. And so there's, there's pieces of it that, uh, that you have deeply dived into and worked with a master in that way. I know in Buddhism, a lot of the masters come from being recognized in reincarnation is any of that happen in your tradition or is this no no sufism islam has a very different picture of reincarnation they don't we don't use the term at all mm -hmm. um because the idea of a of soul is that there is only one soul there's only there's only allah there's only the divine there's only god and when we die we re-enter the oneness and so this mm -hmm. idea of an individuated soul moving from body to body doesn't exist as a concept we can there is uh, an acknowledgement that people can sometimes access memories from a universal consciousness from the divine but it's not owned by an individual it's not like oh i was this person at another time it's like if i'm starting to access that level of awareness then i'm dissolving into oneness and i was everyone <laughs> if you, you know in everything and that's more of entering oneness rather than this sense of you know as i know the buddhists hold it where there's you know in some other traditions hold it it's like yes there's a this is a an individual personhood however you define that who's traveling from body to body and working working through uh karma uh is you know the buddhist term to I, as a understand you know to to be able to enter the oneness okay does that make sense it does absolutely yeah. how does this show uh, how does uh how does this show up in your life and in your work and in practical ways like my spiritual life is how i make decisions right? it's like it's a piece of the whole right i really let like how you talked about the bark and the sap like it's a part of every 
maneuver I make in my world. And it's the balance, right, that I'm constantly trying to do, right? So I, when I first came to this work, I'd be like, I'm just going to let it go and let God do it and sit on my couch and hopefully my job will come. It, well, no, that's not it, right? And so, <laughs> so it's that balance, right, of me forcing what I want and going after what I want and me also showing up to what is supposed to happen and then allowing in the surrender. And how does this show up practically for you? Yeah. So the, 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 the core Sufi practice is called remembrance, and it's remembering the divine, remembering the presence of the divine and the, and the oneness. And the way that we understand um, divinity and divine and Allah, as the word is, the name is, um, is that this is not a beard in the sky. It is the oneness, it's universal source that we all come from and we all return to and that we are not separated from. So our yearning, our striving is to remember the divine in every moment, in everything, to see the oneness and the multiplicity and to see the multiplicity and the oneness. Um, and sometimes we remember and sometimes we don't. And when I remember, I remember and when I don't, I don't. And so the remembrance as a practice is the repeating of the calling of the name. It's not a, it's not a mechanical practice. It's a relationship. Like we're, we're wanting to be in relationship with the one. There is some of the language of the deity language that comes in because it represents an intimacy that is available. You know, the Sufism is, is a devotional practice. It's a devotional path. And it has to do with not of detachment, but of attachment. Like we're attempting to attach ourselves to the one, to the love, through love. Love is a deeply attaching force and quality and and that's what we're attempting to do is to feel the love is to witness the love that's present in everything in every moment sometimes we do sometimes we don't it's uh and so when you say that it manifests it's like there's various practices that i do and there's just the you know i'm trying to kind of call through my heart to the divine and be aware of that presence as much as possible and then that presence you know can fill me i can witness it filling is a metaphor because it's never absent but i can have the experience of it filling me because when i'm caught in my ego in my small self it can feel like I'm separate. And so it feels like the divine's coming in when really I'm just beginning to witness from a deeper place, from a larger place, from a larger reality. And then that awareness, that fullness will move me or not. It'll either feel, feel like, okay, it's time to sit still or it's time to be in action. And I will start to fill with and express different divine qualities. I mean, not me, all of us, you know, uh, it's, the way that we understand and witness the divine according to Sufism is, is by the 99 divine qualities, the divine names, which are qualities like love and strength and wisdom and compassion and friendship and annihilation and the giver of death and the giver of life. And there's all these different qualities. And so anything that we see is really just an expression of one or more of these qualities. You know, I can look at, you know, I'm sitting on a chair and that's a you know, that's a combination potentially of a divine quality of strength and a quality of gentleness and the softness in the way it holds me because there's a cushion there and there's a quality of support and nourishment. You know, it's like we can look at all of these different things around us. And so if I'm facing something, a situation, a moment in my life, I'm facing something and I'm just I'm like, okay, so 
what is needed, what quality is needed, what quality is being called for in this situation. And then as I can begin to ask for or access or be surprised by what quality shows up, then that quality as it fills my heart moves me in various ways. And this sounds like a really deep esoteric process and it can be very conscious and esoteric and it can take time to pray into it. But a lot of times it's just what we do. It's just a way of understanding what we do. You know, I feel full of life and I jump up and I start dancing, you know, and that's going to be expressions of divine quality. Or I'm, you know, we've got a, I live in an eco village in upstate New York and we've got this project where you know, planting a bunch of hazelnut trees. And I'm like, okay, I'm feeling, you know, a need to, um, you know, work the earth. And I'm just feeling, feeling that energy in me. And I can go out and I can work on the fence or I can, you know, add the compost or, you know, it's like, it's just a way of understanding how the divine moves everything, that everything is an expression of movement of divine presence and that we're never alone and we're never separate. Oh, that's beautiful. So what I hear you saying is being clean, feeling connected, clean is whatever, being connected, mm -hmm. and then the choices and thoughts and feelings that you're having in those connected moments will naturally be part of that one. Yeah. Yes. And it is anyway, like even when we're not clean, because there's nothing that's not the one, right? It's just a matter of how purely we reflect that and how purely we access that. Because these divine qualities can be veiled or twisted in our world you know they're often they're often turned around you know a lot of times when we look at life we feel some need inside ourselves and neediness i mean one of the things that sufism teaches is that we are that the natural state of the human being is one of poverty right we're deeply needy we have nothing that is ours we are created to serve. We are created as vessels in the same way that a glass, you know, the drinking glass that I'm drinking from um, doesn't own the water. It's, its natural state is one of emptiness and it's not useful until it's filled, right? And so when we fill ourselves, if we fill ourselves full of sand, we're not very useful in this sense. But when we fill ourselves with pure water, we can really serve in really beautiful ways. And so when I feel neediness in me, I feel yearning in me, the natural human thing from an ego level is like, oh my God, I need, I have this need. I have this need for approval or, or appreciation or love or security or safety or something. And so I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go try to make that happen. I'm going to go try to create it. But it's so, this is why so many of our actions are unfulfilling because the actions are an attempt to manufacture divine qualities and human beings are completely unable to manufacture divine qualities. We don't have that power, but what we can do is we can sense that neediness inside ourselves, a thirst for safety, a thirst for love, a thirst for appreciation, for connection, for wisdom, for guidance, for forgiveness. And then we can ask for it and we can fill with it. And then when we're filled with it, we can be an expression of it. That's how I attempt to operate, you know, in, a, in, an, in an ideal moment. That is beautiful. I, I, um, I use different words, right? But it's mm -hmm. the same. And so for me, a lot of the words, instead of neediness, it's about fear, right? That energy of fear when I get fearful and, and, and when other people get fearful. And as long as you're fearful, it feels like the idea is... I, have no, I don't have enough money, so I need to make money, right? Like, 
or I don't have a partner. I need to find a partner, right? And so I just know that is my action when I'm in fear is to attend to that fear. And as long, and then right. to come back to self and to come back to spirit and to get grounded. And then I can take that because it's okay to want partnership. It's okay to want security. It's okay to want a nice, exactly. you know, all of these things. And it's, but it just, in the moments of fear, my first thought is never, I know I should pray and meditate, right? Like it's mm-hmm. always like, I got to go do something. Right. And I just have learned my, my, one of my practices is learning to feel that energy of what you would describe as neediness is, and knowing that my action right now is to stop. And it's so, it's terrifying. It really is. Cause it does feel like that is the absolute wrong thing to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then I'm missing out and going to, you know, the sky is falling, right? That's right, like exactly. my ever popular experience and just like the sky has not fallen yet and even when it has fallen i've been okay right 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 exactly yeah exactly exactly yeah in sufism one of the metaphors we use the metaphor of the ocean a lot and water and thirst and so what i've come to understand is that these emotions like fear and anger and um grief these are just symptoms of thirst it's like when we're thirsty our throat gets dry when we get hungry, our stomach rumbles. When our heart is thirsty, we feel fear or anger or grief. And it's just the sign of thirst. And we can either, you know, go for junk food that doesn't really nourish us, or we can slow down and get what really nourishes us. And um, for me, that understanding of the thirst, of the heart's thirst, helps um, me not react to the fear so directly. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I'm feeling very completed, but I, um, I guess the other thing is, how does this show up in your work, right? So you, your business is called the heart of business and mm-hmm. you do marry these things. So how does that, so you work with entrepreneurs on how to have mm-hmm. a spiritual marketing or just a spiritual whole entrepreneur. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we believe that every act of business can be an act of love and we help people who um, want to make a difference in the world and people who are self-employed or have micro sized businesses who um, just need to feel good about the actions that they need to take in their business in order to follow through, that they're ethical, that they feel good, that they don't have to compromise who they are. And so what we, what we do is we teach a lot of very nitty gritty business stuff, you know, like marketing and strategy. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's very practical, but what we also do is we help to illuminate um, the spiritual teachings or the spiritual principles that are within certain kinds of ethical business actions so that people can get the nourishment in the business action. Uh, A lot of ways people approach uh, spirituality and business is it's kind of like the car analogy where you fill up the tank and you go drive it. So go fill up on your cushion and then go drive your business. And when you get empty, come back and fill up again. And we know that you can have a spiritual practice within the actions of the business. So for instance, one of the common things that's said in marketing is that you have to talk about the problem, right? And this can be done manipulatively from a very disconnected place of, 
you know, oh, talk about the problem and then that way they'll get triggered and then they'll want to come to you and buy from you. But the other side of this is that I know in the training that I've had as a spiritual healer that the very first step in healing and sometimes the only needed step in healing is to be witnessed in the pain as if you're not broken, mm. right? Is to be seen. There's a quote, another quote attributed to God that says uh, in Sufism, it says, I was a hidden treasure and I yearned to be known. So I created the creation in order to be known. We all want to be seen. And so if you start your marketing um, with statements of empathy, where you really see people and say, I see that you're, you know, struggling with this. I see that you're struggling with your health. I see that you're struggling with your business. I see that you're struggling with your partner. And I have so much love and empathy for you there. You know, where you're not re-traumatizing it, but you're speaking from a place of empathy then what that happens is somebody can feel seen, they can catch their breath, they can come into a listening space, they can know that what you're going to say is probably going to be relevant to them. You can see their, their nervous system can start to settle down. You can start the healing process, whether or not they're going to buy from you. And so this is, a, this is kind of an example of what we do in you know, as all these different, many, 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 many different aspects of business where there's like all these actions that you need to take. But if you look closely at it, there's, there's love, you know, every act of business can be an act of love in systems. We can discover love in a similar way in the sales conversation. We can discover love in a similar way in pricing in creating offers in the website. And, you know, like over and over again, there's not a single corner of the world that doesn't have, that, that doesn't hold the presence of the divine love. And this is important because our economy is broken. Deeply. Our economy is dysfunctional. And a lot of people have a separation where business, money, the economy is not a place for the sacred. And so we, you know, you, you use that term, which is common. It's just how we talk, you know, about marrying this. It's like we don't bring spirit into anything. We don't marry anything. What we do is we help everyone discover what's already there, is that it's already sacred. The ground that you're standing on is already holy. And we just need to honor it and see it and act from that place. Yeah, thank you. It is, um, it is one of the reasons I didn't want to do a business, right? And in this arena and, and why it made it so complex for me. And, and I, I went the, a little bit of a martyr route of, I can't, I can't be of service if I charge. Right. So that was a hard piece for me. And, and just all these people would tell me, I didn't, I don't know marketing well. I'm still, <laughs> still really bad at it, but I love the idea. I do know witness. I do know how to speak to you. And I, I do know that piece. And all of these marketing people would tell me things like speak to their pain point. And it was essentially like poke at their pain, poke at their pain and do not relieve that poking until they purchase something. Yeah. That's and, manipulation. Yeah. That's re-traumatizing manipulation. And I, I kept saying, no, no, yeah. no. I would rather go work at Starbucks then do that. I'm not willing. And I need to find a way to mm -hmm. do this with the same, because I'm not okay. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Right? right. You know, and I worked, I worked in bereavement counseling and all of this. The witnessing is so powerful and just holding the space of, I see you 
And that's all. I just saw you. It's the mommy kissing the boo-boo, right? Nothing really happened there except the magic of it. And we still need that. I still need to deeply be seen Mm -hmm. and the magic that can happen in that moment. And today I'm just dedicated to doing what you're talking about of saying like, how do I show up and honor, deeply honor anyone that wants to work with me or not, you know? And say, I see you, you're, and, and I think I, I'm watching it dissolve, right? All of these tactics are no longer working on people, and that's great. I am so excited about that. And, and people are getting more savvy and, and knowing that, like, no, you just get to have a one-on-one conversation, and, and it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. thank you for that work. In, in this work, what is important to be is not what path you take to the divine. It is that you are taking and seeking, and that you are honestly attempting to do your best to to show up to it yes you know exactly. and i find my my mother-in-law is catholic deeply catholic and her faith is something that i find is profound mm-hmm. and beautiful and i witness it all the time in the hard moment when no one's looking she's there oh, and sure. that right and make brings tears to my eyes it is mm. the beauty of it right and i hear that in you and i I just thank you for the work. And I, mm. you know, it is, it's really an honor mm. to witness that work. Mashallah. Yeah. Mashallah. <sighs> thank you. Yeah. So thank you for this time. If you feel called to find uh, Mark, please do. Um, it is at heartofbusiness.com yes. and in the liner notes, and people will find you. And, and again, this conversation totally filled me and that is my goal for anyone out there listening so thank you again yeah thank you thank you for listening please subscribe so you never miss an episode of spirituality out loud be sure to rate us review us and like us on facebook and share us with your friends